All right, well, we're going to go ahead and get started uh, tonight. Amen. So I just want to uh, thank you guys for joining. I want to welcome you guys. I want to say good evening and God bless you and and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, I'm Pastor Manuel Figueroa. And so tonight uh, we're going to continue our study in the book of Ephesians. You know, last last week, Pastor Dozier brought us an awesome message out of chapter one. But tonight we're going to cover uh, chapter two. Amen. So uh, before we get started, why don't we go ahead and bow our heads and let's uh, go ahead and get into some prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you, Father, for tonight. We thank you, Father, for an opportunity, Father, to uh, study your word, Father God. We thank you, Lord, for the, the free access that we have, Lord God, in your word, Lord. And we thank you, Father, for all the things, Lord God, that we learn, all the things that you show us, Father. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your goodness and your faithfulness, Lord God, and what, for what you prepared for us uh, for tonight, Lord God. We ask, Lord God, that <clears throat> excuse me, that you would be glorified tonight, Father. I, I, I decrease, Father, so that you may increase, Lord God. I pray, Heavenly Father, that uh, you would use me, Heavenly Father, as, as your instrument, Lord, to share your word, Heavenly Father, with, uh, with clarity and with understanding, Lord God, that may your word go forth and touch many hearts, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. And let your name be glorified, Father, among your people, Lord. And it is in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, your precious Son, that I pray. And let all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God bless you, Sister Marty. It's good to see you. Good to see you. Amen. So, like I said, tonight we have uh, our Bible studies in Ephesians chapter 2. All right, and Ephesians is one of my favorite books of the Bible, okay? The book of Ephesians, it, it, it teaches us how to live uh, a heavenly life in a hellish world, amen? And, and, and if you read the book of Ephesians, we will see that it's primarily written uh, to the church corporate because as you look through every chapter, every chapter uses the word church or a synonym for the word church and it's about you know collective christianity in a personal application uh the first three chapters you know paul teaches us on on doctrine right he he shares us the spiritual content you know of of, of doctrine and he and he and he shows us you know that we're the the spiritual heritage right and in the last three chapters paul teaches us on duty he teaches us on spiritual conduct right he teaches us uh, um uh, what to know about our, our spiritual heritage in daily living. So Paul presents the Ephesians in a way to where he where he shows that doctrine and duty walk side by side, right? And so last week in chapter 1, we learned that Jesus is the down payment, right? He's the down payment for our heavenly blessings and, and, and our inheritance, right? As the church and as members uh, of the church, right? From, from God the Father. So we're going to pick up on chapter 2. So let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. And let's see what the Lord has in store for us tonight. Amen. I'm excited. I'm excited for what we got going on for tonight. Amen. God bless you, Pastor Frank. Amen. Good to see you. Sister Jessica, Sister Cello, God bless you guys. I'm so glad you guys are on. Praise the Lord. So right now we're going to cover uh, verses uh, 1 through 10. And it reads like this. And you were dead. In your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit, now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, 
carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive, amen, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace, amen. Someone say, we, I am saved by grace, amen. He also raised us up with him and seated him uh, uh, and seated us with him in the heavenly uh, in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Okay, verse seven. So that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves; it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. But uh, uh, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Wow, this is awesome. This is awesome the way Paul presents uh, these, these first 10 verses. I mean, I, I could imagine him. He's like, a, he's like a jeweler, right? He starts off like a jeweler. If you look at what a jeweler does, when a jeweler displays diamonds, he the jeweler always 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 brings he always puts the, the 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 diamonds against a black cloth, right? Because diamonds shine more brilliantly against a dark backdrop. Amen. So before Paul can describe God's grace, Paul wants the Ephesian Christians, Paul wants us to know how dark things were without God's grace. Okay, and so what he does is that he places the diamond, right? If we want to call that, if we want to call God's grace, the diamond, he places that diamond against the backdrop of sin so that grace will glitter even more. Amen. So he says, he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the, in, in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as others were also. Wow. So he begins by giving us a, a like a coroner's report, right? Every person outside of Jesus, every person outside of Christ is spiritually dead, separated from God. And that's what he's bringing out. He says that these people are physically alive but their sins have rendered them spiritually unresponsive in other words we were alienated from god and so we were incapable of experiencing the full life that god could give us amen so we see here that in in, in verses two and three paul describes what you might want to call like the three locks you know of the coffin or the three nails you know that that nail that coffin shut right so he says he says there are three things, right, that nail that, that coffin shut. And one of them, he says, in, in verse uh, 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 2, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world. That's the first one. He said the world, the ways of this world, meaning referring to the, the world's accepted uh, but like immoral lifestyle and godless, and godless motives, right? People who live, you know, like the world, uh, that is full of sin cannot 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 follow Jesus, you know what I mean? So he he names the the first one, and then he goes on to say, um, 
He says, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air. That's the second one. Who's the ruler of the power of the air? The devil, right? Satan, the ruler of the power of the air. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he's referring to to the the, the you know Satan's sphere, right? His, his 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 sphere of influence. Okay. And even though Satan's influence is great among unbelievers, his power is limited because he's the he's the defeated enemy. Amen. We just celebrated uh, Resurrection Sunday, right? This past weekend. We just celebrated. We, we celebrated the, the fact that Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. He conquered Satan. You know what I mean? He crushed his head, right? So he cannot, he cannot separate believers from the love of God. You know, Satan is also called the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Amen. People who have not you know, surrendered to God or, or decided to obey or, 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 or disobey, I mean, are, 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 are energized by the power of evil. And he's telling us right here that that force, man, that force of, of evil spirit is seen in those who, who actively disobey God, both in faith and in action. These people live a constant, you know, a, a, a rebellion and in opposition to God. That's how we were. That's how we were before we received grace, before we received salvation, right? That's how we were. And then Paul names the third one. He says, um, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires. He's talking about the flesh now, right? The passions and the desires of, of, of our evil nature. And so Paul is saying here that, that, that before they came to know Christ, that before we came to know Christ, we were all like zombies. We were all like zombies trapped in a cemetery. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying you were dead, right? He's saying that our situation in that cemetery uh, was so grim that there was no way that we could ever create or find a way of escape. There was no way. There was nothing that we could ever do because we were dead. We were like, you know, the walking dead. We were children under under wrath, right? Subject of, of, of Satan's kingdom and under God's anger and judgment. So being in Satan's kingdom is like, it's like the living dead, right? In it, you know, we had mobility, but we had no life. That means no spiritual life, right? So those who are, are, are spiritually dead are unable to respond to, to spiritual stimuli, right? When we become believers, our sinful nature still exists, church. That sinful nature still exists. But when we submit our lives to the Holy Spirit, He transforms us. He transforms our sinful natures, right? This is this is a supernatural process. So even though we're saved, even though we're saved by grace and God has rescued us, we still can't, we should never underestimate the power of our sinful nature. Amen? Because we, we, we must never attempt to, to try to subdue it in our own strength. Because we can't do it in our own strength. We're too weak. The only one that can do it is God. God provides the victory over sin. He's the one that sends his Holy Spirit, right, to live in us and to give us power. But that ability to restrain the desires, right, of the sinful nature, it depends on how much we, how much we are willing to depend on God and his mercy. Amen? Amen. Let's go to verse 4. Verse 4 says, But God, someone say, but God. Come on, go ahead and type it out. Say, but God, because this is going to be powerful right here. 
But God, who is rich in his mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, verse 5, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. I am saved by grace. This right here is so powerful because Paul introduces two words that change everything, right? But God. But God, behind those two words, right, it lies a, a cosmic, a cosmic plan so, so huge and in scope and, 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 and so vast in love that the human mind cannot even fully comprehend it. All we can do is just humbly receive it. Amen. Those two words, I believe those two words are the most powerful two words that you will find in, in the Bible. That's my personal opinion. Because... That right there, man, it transitions us out from death to life, right? Paul was describing how dead we were without, without the grace of God, without salvation. But then he comes with those two words, but God. Those two words tell us who initiates salvation, right? God always makes the first move. and He always makes the first move in salvation because why? Because the lost sinner... The dead man is incapable of making the first move. Why? We're dead. How are we going to make our first move toward God if we're dead, right? So those two words mark the difference between life and death. Those two words, they mark the difference between a life of turmoil and a life of peace. Those two words mark the difference between a life of sin and sorrow and a life lived to the glory of God, right? Those two words... Are the difference between salvation and damnation between heaven and hell amen so instead of, of 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 god leaving a sinful humanity think about this church instead of god leaving a sinful humanity to live worthless and hopeless lives ending only in death god created right god on uh, he acted on 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 behalf of of, of humanity right and, and, and because he's so rich in mercy, he stepped in. He created that, 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 that salvation for us. He had that prepared for us. Amen? That word rich, the fact that he is so rich in mercy, that word rich, you know, it, it, it's a, it's a, it indicates the bountiful, right? The bountiful nature of God's mercy. In other words, we can't even comprehend it, right? It's so good. It's so rich. It's an inexhaustible storehouse, right? Of mercy. Amen. What is mercy? Mercy is what we call, it's an attribute of God, right? It sometimes, you know, might be called even like loving kindness or compassion. And this word describes the, 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 the outworking, right? Of God's love toward people. And it's shown, you know, in his loving kindness toward us, even though, we don't deserve it. How many of us believe that, that we deserve mercy? We don't deserve mercy. I don't deserve mercy. What does the Bible say that the wages of sin is what? The wages of sin is death. You know what I mean? But God in his mercy that's so rich stepped in. And he loved us so much. And that word love in the Greek is, is agape, right? He uses the agape love here. And it means a selfless uh, love that seeks the best for others. And so while God could have 
could have simply destroyed all people because of their sin, he chose instead to show mercy and love. In other words, while we were dead because of our sins, God gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Amen. You have been saved by grace. I have been saved by grace. Amen. All of us have been saved by grace. Praise the Lord. Amen. I praise God. I praise God when he, when he took a personal interest in me. I praise him. I glorify him when he, when he came in and, and he butted in my life, right? But God, he butted in my life. Because, you know, when God buttered in my life, I wasn't looking for a change of life. I wasn't looking for a savior. I wasn't looking for anything but the next good time, right? The next big thrill, the next sin to commit. But I praise God. I thank him that he had others. He had other ideas for my life. Amen. I think thanks to his personal intervention, I'm saved. What about you? Can you praise God for him personally intervening in your life? Can you praise God for him budding in your life? Amen. Thank God that he buttered in. Praise the Lord. But you know what? That's not all. Let's go to verse 6. Verse 6 says, He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Amen. He saved you. He saved me. When he saved us, He's telling us right here in verse 6 that he relocated us. Amen? In other words, the same power, the same power that God used to raise his son up on the third day, the same resurrection power is the same power that he, to, that he used to resurrect us from our sinful life and to seat us and in heavenly places with Christ. Right? He, he relocated us. Amen? He seated us with them in the heavens. I mean, we remember back in chapter 1, in verses 20 and 21, we remember that Paul says that Jesus was seated in heavenly places with resurrection power and dominion, right? Well, guess what? We have that same power. We have that same dominion, amen? Because we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So now he says that he relocated us there too in Christ Jesus. Believers, you and I are participants with Christ in this spiritual reality. Why? Because we are linked to Him. We're in union with Christ. Amen? This is how we have access to our spiritual privileges, to every spiritual blessing, right? That God has placed on your account and on my account. Amen? So this view right here, I mean, if we really think about this, this right here alone should help us each day in our trials. Because now we can face our trials with greater hope. Why? Because we have authority. Amen. We are in Christ Jesus. We are seated in, in heavenly places in Christ Jesus with authority and dominion. Amen. So we got to claim that authority and that dominion in Christ. Praise God. Amen. Let's continue. Verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So it's grace that makes, you know, Christianity different from every other, uh, every other religion. You see, every other religion tells us what we have to do in order to get to God. Christianity tells us what God has done to get to us. Amen? There ain't nothing that we got to do. Nothing whatsoever. God is the initiator. He's the one that makes the first move. Amen? Praise God. 
for all eternity, man, God is going to display the, the immeasurable riches of His grace. I mean, I'm excited. I'm excited because this is a kindness that I don't deserve, right? This is a kindness that God displays, that God gives us, that shows us, you know, through His Christ. I mean, through His, through His Son, Jesus Christ. You know what I mean? So, to put it another way, okay, we haven't seen anything yet. We haven't seen anything yet because in eternity with God will be like a non-stop, never-ending, blow-your-mind experience, right? If, it, if it's hard for us to, to kind of grasp what, it, what Paul is saying right here, imagine what it's going to be like when we're in heaven. Imagine what it's going to be like when, we're with, when we are with Jesus, right? Every, I mean, it's going to be a blow-your-mind, non-stop, blow-your-mind experience. I mean, that's just how he is. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's continue. Okay. It says, For you are saved by grace through faith. This is verse 8. And this is not from yourself. It is God's gift. Not from works. Verse 9. So that no one can boast. So our salvation, it comes from, it comes from God's special uh, uh, favor upon us, right? Grace. Unmerited favor. It comes from God's favor alone. In other words, salvation does not come from our own self-reliance or individualism. But it comes from God's initiative. It, it's a gift to be thankfully accepted, right? We can't take credit for salvation, church. We can't. I mean, it's this, this, you know, salvation, it's not a reward for good things that we've done. There is nothing that we could ever do to earn salvation. Nothing. So when the time comes that we, we're in heaven... Not, not none of us, man, could walk around strutting, man, with our chest high, man, thinking that we had something to do with salvation. No. None of us will be able to do that. None of us will be up there, man, like peacocks trying to show off our colors, right? None of us will do that. The only thing that we will be allowed to do is brag on God's magnificent grace. Amen? Because God's grace is a mean, you know, but because the grace of God means that, that, that God reaches, He reaches out to those who deserve nothing. I didn't deserve anything, man. You don't deserve nothing. The next person doesn't deserve anything, right? But God reaches out to those who deserve nothing from Him but His judgment and condemnation. And the grace of God means that, that He turns his, his favor toward those who deserve wrath. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? I, th I thank God that God, you know, doesn't give me what I deserve, right? Because what I deserve is God's wrath and judgment, right? Because I'm a sinner, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, my life is messed up. I'm jacked up, you know what I mean? But because of God's grace, because of His mercy, because of, because of, because of, 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 of His love for us, right? He, he, he radically goes down there and he and he displays he displays his grace he displays his love and his mercy and he reaches out man to the lost sinner and pulls that lost sinner man out of the miry clay that was me i don't know about you but that was me amen it means that you know lost sinners that that, that are dead that are that are radically uh, depraved and totally deceived and and utterly doomed man in our sins you know god's grace reaches out to save them right by his amazing and abundant grace and you know what in our own human nature people find it difficult people find it difficult 
to accept something that is so free. People find it difficult to accept something, accept something that is so willingly given, so available to anyone. You know, because in our in our own human nature, we want to feel as if we as if we as if we did something, as if somehow we earned uh, our salvation by our merit. But Paul's words here, they're unmistakable. Salvation is by God's grace and is accepted, is accepted through faith. So if it's accepted through faith, then it's not a reward. Because if salvation could be earned by works, then people w by nature would boast, right? We go on bragging about how good we are and what we did, you know? So... Then, then what, what, what good would 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 uh, would uh, would salvation be? In other words, what, um, what would be good enough, right? If if we were in a position to where we could brag about the the good things that we do, and and also compete with others, you know, uh, 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 about their good works, right? You know, how good do we have to be in order to earn salvation? You know what I mean? I don't know if I even mentioned that clearly enough. You know, what, what I'm trying to say is that if, if salvation, you know, could be earned by good works, then people would by nature boast, right? Because that's just how we are. We would boast about our good works and we would compare the goodness of, of our works with the goodness of other people's works, right? So it would be like a nonstop boasting, you know, a competition. So then if that were the case, then, then, then what would be good enough for salvation, Right? But Paul tells us right here, man, that no one can ever be good enough. No one can be good enough. You know what I mean? No one, none of us can be good enough, man, to, 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 to please a holy God. None of us. And God casts aside all human effort and pride by offering salvation for free to all people, right? By simple acceptance. All we have to do is just accept it. People are given salvation on the ground of God's grace alone. Amen. Let's go to verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Wow. So Paul is saying that God has given us, you know, a gifts, right? Gifts of his grace without even asking for a single thing in return. He doesn't expect us to repay him for grace. But even though God does not expect us to, re to, 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 well, he doesn't expect any return payments from us, he does expect a return on his investment. Amen? The work of grace in, in us results in, some, in, 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 in a very real change in our lives. It makes changes in our lives. These changes allow us to live for God. Amen? So our living for God, according to his will, brings glory to his name. Okay? And that's all that he wants from us. Okay? Although although we're not saved by works, we are saved for good works. Amen? In other words, according to Paul, we are God's masterpiece. We are his workmanship. Paul says that 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 that, that we are uh, 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 created in Christ Jesus for, for good works. Amen? So when it comes to our salvation... God is crafting our lives. He's crafting my life. He's crafting your life, right? Into a piece of art. Did you know that you're a piece of art? Did you know that you are a masterpiece? Amen. So don't ever, don't ever put yourself down because you're a masterpiece. 
God is working on you. He's working. He's making you into a into a piece of art, right? He's working on each and every one of us. We're all being recreated to do good works. God saved us for His purposes and pleasure. Amen. And the sad thing, you know, is that many of us Christians were unfulfilled and were miserable. Why? Because we've never gotten around to do the work that God has for us. God has already prepared it for us, church. He's already prepared it for He's already prepared the work for us to do for Him. It's already prepared. It's just waiting for us to walk right into it. But when we understand the grace of God, right? When we understand the grace with, with which God saved us with, then gratitude is what's going to drive our response. Amen? We're going to be so thankful. When we really understand God's grace, just our gratitude alone is going to drive us. Is that driving force for us to do the work that God has called us to do? So the purpose for our lives has already been designed. It's already waiting for us to walk in it. We don't have to come up with it at all. It's already ready to go. You see, God prepared that, according to Paul, what he's saying here, that God prepared that ahead of time for us to do good works. He's the one that gives us the desire for them. He's the one that gives us the ability, man, to pull, to pull them off. All we have to do is live them out. So God's intention is that our salvation, right, will result in acts of service. He saved us not merely for our own benefit, but to serve Christ and build up the church. So this right here alone solves the, the so-called conflict between faith and works, right? Works do not produce salvation. They do not. Good works will not get you saved. It will not, right? But they are the evidence of salvation. So in other words, a faith that is real reveals itself through works that are righteous. So when God, through His grace, saves a sinner like me from, from the deadness and the deception like you from the depravity and the doom of our sins, He does not save that person to live as they please. No. He brings us out from death, right? So that we can live a new life in Christ. He brings us out from deception so that we can now live in truth. He saves us so that, so from, from, from the depravity so that we can walk in righteousness, church. And He saves us from, from our doom so that we can enjoy the blessings of his salvation amen god doesn't save us so that we can live for ourselves he saves us so that we can live for him he saves us so that we can walk in the newness of life he saves us so that we can we can uh so that he can use us for his glory right in this in this fallen world he saves us to put us to work amen for him in bringing a lost world to jesus christ somebody say amen somebody get excited for jesus tonight amen Let's go to verse 11. 11 to 22 says, so, so then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised, by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenant, covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood. Praise the Lord. We brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who made both one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in the flesh. He made of no 
affect the law consisting of commands and expresses and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man. Someone say one new man from the two resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by, uh, by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit, someone say one spirit, to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Praise the Lord. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. Man, can Paul drop some truth right here. Amen. So he's saying that the cross of Christ, right, not only deals with with uh, our separation from God, but it also deals with our separation from one another. Amen. We just covered that we have been saved uh, for good works, right? And those works are to be lived out in the Christian dynamic called the church. In other words, we are heaven's kingdom community church. So now Paul moves from discussing grace to now discussing race. Amen. So let's go back to verse 11. It says, so then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. Verse 12, at that time you uh, were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners, of, uh, uh, foreigners to the covenant of promise without hope and without God in the world. Wow, so Paul focuses right here on the Gentiles, right? Calling the Gentile Christians not to forget their former condition. He's telling us, don't forget, man, where you came from. Don't forget, man, the condition that you were in. So he reminds the Ephesians, you know, to their prior separation from God. He says, remember, you were separated from God. You, you Gentiles were called the uncircumcised by those called circumcised. So in other words, what he's saying is that we as Gentiles... The Ephesian Christians and us had no access to the Jewish covenants, right? The Jewish covenants of promise. In other words, he was saying, you were without Christ. You were without hope. You were without God in this world. All of us were. Our sin had separated us from our creator. And fortunately, it doesn't end here. For God himself, once again, remember how we covered that God is the initiator. He's the one that, that comes in, right? He starts everything off. He's the one that initiates the salvation. He intervenes again. And now we come to two other important words. Let's go to verse 13. But now, remember the first two words, but God? Now, these are the second most important words I believe are in the Bible. But now, okay? So let's go. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus... You who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Hallelujah. For he is our peace who made both groups one. Oh, that's powerful. And tore down the dividing wall of hostility. Tore down the division. Praise the Lord. In his flesh, he made no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself 
Here we go again. One new man from the two, resulting in peace. One new man. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. This is powerful. This is powerful. He says, but now, but now, in Christ Jesus, we, right? They have been brought close. We have been brought close to God. Amen? The blood of Jesus, man, not only brings people near to God, but it brings Jews and Gentiles near to one another. It brings all of us near to one another. Amen? That's what the cross does. Because we know that as we read the word of God, we know that there that it was no secret that there was hostility between these two groups, right? The Jews and Gentiles. Whether it be cultural, whether it be uh, religious hostility, it was it was it was a hostility that no one that no one could bridge but God. God is the only one that could bridge that. And the atoning death of Christ tore down that dividing wall. It tore it down, it broke it down, man. That that wall of hostility. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of the wall in the Jerusalem temple that prevented the Gentiles from entering. But the cross, the cross removes that barrier. It removes it and it grants the Jews and the Gentiles equal access to God. Woo, that's awesome. That's powerful. Why? Jesus made both groups one. Amen. But he made them one so that he might create in himself one new man. Out of the two, one new man. In other words, this new group, right? This 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 one new man that 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 incorporates both Jews and Gentiles is called what? The church. Amen. It's heaven's new community. It's the new race. It's 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 the new race that's reconciled to God in one body through the cross. Amen. The cross did all that. That's that's the good news. That's the power of the gospel. When the gospel was presented, it came to all people, not just Jews, not just Gentiles. It came to all people without regard of their race, without regard of their nationality, without regard of their ethnic origin, without regard of their language or, or of their social standing or even their sex. It came to all people. So the gospel is the good news that, that Jesus died for sinners. That's all sinners and rose again from the dead. Amen. Which we celebrated this past weekend. Right? He died for all sinners and rose again from the dead. And that anyone, not just Jews, anyone, not just Gentiles, anyone who believes in him would be saved. Amen. Someone should get excited tonight because that's you and I that Paul's describing. Right? That because we believed, we could be saved. Praise the Lord. But not only does, does the gospel bring salvation, but the gospel itself is a, is, is a leveler, right? It makes everybody equal, man, at the cross, right? There's, no, there's nobody better than, 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 than other people. No, everybody is equal on the same level at the cross. So in spite of whom the person that, that, that believed the gospel, that person who was brought is, is brought into unity with other believers. Amen? Is brought into unity in the body of Christ. The gospel is the great, or should I say, the gospel is the greatest unifier of people. When the gospel came, it had to break the wall that existed between the sexes, right? In which man felt that that they were that they were in a different class than women, 
It had to break down the walls that stood between the slaves and their masters. It had to break down the walls that existed between nations. It had to break down walls that, that existed between religions. It had to break down walls that we face today. What type of walls are we facing today? Walls of racism, right? Walls of social injustice. Walls of division in so many kinds. Amen? The cross breaks all that. Amen? The cross breaks all that. Nothing else but the cross. And Paul understood that. He, he knew that the gospel was like dynamite. He knew that, that, that when it exploded into the hearts of individuals, families, cities, it all broke down. It broke down walls that existed between people and it brought them together and made them one in Christ. That's the power of the cross. That's the power of the gospel. It makes us one in Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm excited tonight. Let's go to verse uh, 17. Amen. He says, He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Who? Who was near? The Jews were near, right? Because they already knew uh, uh, they already knew uh, God through the scriptures and, and they worshipped Him through, through their religious ceremonies. And then he, he talks about the Gentiles also being, being far away because they do either little or nothing. But you know what these both groups had in common? That neither one of them could be saved. Neither one of them could be saved by their good works or by their deeds or by their knowledge or by their sincerity, right? Both, both groups, both near and far, needed to hear about the salvation that was available through Jesus Christ. Both groups need Jesus, which tells me that every one of us need Christ. All of us need Jesus, amen? Both Jews and Gentiles are now free to come to God through Christ. You see, the reason why we have racial and, and ethnic and gender and class divisions in the church is because we have not fully and properly understood the cross, right? We get divided along illegitimate lines and we don't see ourselves as part of that one new man. All barriers based on factors such as race or gender, they're all obliterated by the cross. The cross levels everything out. Amen. We shouldn't look at division. We should look at the cross. Amen. Someone say, look at the cross. Look toward the cross. Hallelujah. This doesn't mean that distinctions don't exist, church. It doesn't mean that. Instead, these, these legitimate distinctions are absorbed into something bigger, right? So in terms of, of, of spiritual relationships and development, a white man does not have an advantage over a black man. No. A man does not have spiritual advantage over a woman. No. We can embrace our differences. Amen. We can, we can, we can, we can uh, embrace our differences uh, with, 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 with a common commitment to Christ. Right? Because we're all at peace with one another. Through our peace with God. Amen. In other words, we who are saved, we who are who are saved by the grace of God, we live in the good news of peace. So if you do not see yourself as belonging to this new race, this new man, right? If I don't see myself belonging to this new man or this new race, I'm gonna I'm gonna come out with 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 and, and follow the world's agenda. That say you can't, that races don't mix, right? Just like oil and water, they don't mix. But you see, there is an exception to them mixing, okay? When you add an emulsifier, anybody know what an emulsifier is? 
An emulsifier allows two liquids that normally don't mix. It allows them to mix, right? And Jesus, Jesus, his, 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 his atoning death, that is God's emulsifier to bring into harmony those who wouldn't otherwise mix, right? In the midst of hostility, Jesus not only brings peace, he is our peace. He's the Prince of Peace. Amen? Someone say hallelujah. Amen. So it says in verse 18, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. I love that. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Through Christ, he's saying we have unity. Not uniformity, right? We're not all the same. But unity. And it's a uniqueness that's, that's working toward a common goal. And this, this, this is possible, right? Because all of us Christians have access to the Spirit, right? Access in one Spirit to the Father. That's, that's, that's Christian unity, right? So then we see that Christian unity is a spiritual issue. Where the Spirit is working, there is oneness. If there is any type of disharmony or division... For, for, for whatever illegitimate criteria, the Spirit is not at work. But what I love here is that Paul shows us the work of the Trinity. Right? He shows us the work of the Trinity. He says, he says uh, um, all people can come to God, right? He says, for through Him, through who? Through Christ, right? Through Christ we have access in what? In one Spirit. That's the second part of the Trinity. To the Father. I like how he mentions the Trinity because that's the best example that we could have in unity. Because the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they never work in disunity. They never, they're always in agreement in everything. And that's our example that we should follow, right? Because all of us believers, we're all citizens of God's kingdom. And we're all members of His household. You see, many barriers divide us. From other Christians, whether it be age or appearance or intelligence, economic status, race, you know, theological perspectives, you know, political persuasion, whatever, right? <clears throat> Many things divide us. But one of the surest ways to stifle the Christ's love is to be friendly only with those people that are similar to us. In other words, when we start to click, you know, when we start to gather in clicks and start bringing division, that's not good. That's not good. There's no such thing as clicas, man, in the kingdom of God. Right? There's no such thing as different cliques. We're all one body. Amen? And fortunately, Christ, Jesus, man, he knocked down the barriers. And he placed all believers into one family. So, his cross, the cross of Jesus Christ, should be the focus of our unity. Amen? Don't put your eyes on this and that. Keep your eyes on the cross. Keep them on the cross, church. Amen. The Holy Spirit helps us to look beyond the barriers to the unity that we're called to enjoy. People can see that God's love and 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 and, and that the fact that Jesus is Lord, right? As we live in harmony with each other in accordance to God's word. Amen. Believers are no longer foreigners. We're no longer strangers, right? We've been made fellow citizens, right? Fellow citizens and members of God's household. So to put it in plain terms, the church is a family. We are a family. 
You guys are my brothers and sisters, man. I love you guys. We are family. And I love how Paul uses the metaphors to illustrate the unity in Christ. Amen. Let's continue. Let's go to verse 20. It says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone in him. The whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Amen. The church is built on the foundations, on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. They laid the foundation by recording and by proclaiming the word of God. Amen. And this building that Paul is describing has Jesus Christ himself. As Jesus himself as the cornerstone of that building. What's a cornerstone? The cornerstone, right, in every building, right, in every stone building, one stone is crucial. It's the most important. It's the one that's laid first. That's the cornerstone, right? It's to ensure that the building is square and that the building is stable. So in other words, it's a rock, okay, upon which the weight of the entire uh, structure rests, okay? It is the cornerstone. So scripture describes Jesus, right here he's describing Jesus as the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone of our faith. So when a building is constructed, its stones must be placed in alignment, right, with the cornerstone. So as, as, as God's building, we, Christians, must be in alignment with Christ, right? Each one of us is a brick, each one of us is a stone, in alignment with the chief cornerstone, that's a, which is Jesus Christ, amen? So, every one of us must be positioned properly, okay? A, each part of the building, each believer fits perfectly into the building. All the pieces being aligned with the cornerstone, right? Because after all, in Him, the whole building grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Remember in the Old Testament, the glory of God was manifested in the temple? In other words, that was where God hung out, Amen? And so today, he's in the new temple, the church. Together, we believers are the temple of God. We're God's dwelling in the spirit, right? We're meant to display God's glory. But guess what? That glory, when it when 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 that glory isn't on display. Okay? When we're not aligned with the with the chief cornerstone. The master builder, he has to reach out and he has to pick up that stone, right? When we're not, when we're not right, he picks us up and he begins to shape us in the, in, in, so that we can fit in the proper place. Amen? So what, how, how does the master builder do that? He takes the hammer and he starts to chip away things that don't belong. And he starts reshaping the stone until it fits just right and it's put back in its place. So when God came to us, and saved us by His grace, man, we were a hot mess. I know I was. I was a hot mess. But since that moment, He's been in the process of chipping away all the things that don't belong. All the things that He does not want. He's, he's in the process of reshaping me, of reshaping you, of reshaping all of us into the image of His Son. His goal is for us to become like His Son. So the chipping process is not pleasant at times. But, it, but the end result will be worth all the pain. So every setback that we go through, every frustration that we experience, every every minor like annoyance or along with the things good and pleasant are part of God's building process. In other words, 
God wants us to have a complete view of the cross. Because that same cross that gets you into heaven is the same cross that led to creating something new on earth. The church, heaven's community, a new race of people. A church that is united in Christ in spite of believers' individual differences, right? A church that practices the one another's of scripture, putting others before ourselves, developing spiritual uh, relationships and growing spiritually together, right? In a building, there's no separation between the stones. If you look at a building, look at the stones and you'll see that not one stone is separated from the other. They're all brought together by the will of the builder, amen? And they're put in their places and they're put there to stay. So we see that there's one stone on top of another, one stone beside another, inseparably brought together as part of the same building. One stone may have come from one place, another stone from another place, but they're both part of the same building. They either stay together or the whole building falls apart. And so Paul tells us right here that we're not strangers, we're not foreigners any longer. We are citizens of the same kingdom. More than that, we are, we are members of the same family. More than that, we are components of the same building, amen? Standing together in Christ, right? With a closeness that is, that is permanent, a closeness that is powerful, that is precious, amen? Some parts of the building are Jews, some parts of the building are Gentiles. I came from one place, you came from, a, from another place, right? We all have different paths. We all have uh, different abilities. We all have different interests in different ways. But yet, in spite of our differences, we've been brought together in Christ and given a unity. A unity in Christ that's stronger than blood. Amen? It's stronger than blood. Why? Because when we've been, when we've been given a unity that, that outlasts time itself. See, kingdoms fall, families die out. But the building that God is building with stones like you and I stand forever as a testimony to God's glory. Amen. We stand as a testimony to his grace. We stand as a testimony to his power and his honor. Amen. 2,000 years ago, church, Jesus gave his life on the cross to redeem his church, to redeem his bride. The apostles and the prophets took that message to, to, to their generation and began to build out and to build up from that perfect cornerstone right that 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 chief cornerstone and now generation after generation has been added to the building and it's still standing true and strong today the church is strong amen because we have jesus as our foundation we have jesus as our chief cornerstone amen that the, the the cornerstone that stands under the church is able to support the load that's being built upon him so he was properly placed and he has properly placed every stone that has been added to the building as a straight and as true as he is. In other words, there is no blemish and there is no spot in the church he is building. It's a perfect structure that reflects his character, his grace, and his power, church. The church is more than a corporate gathering, church. It's more than a corporate gathering on Sundays because when that corporate gathering is over, we as a church will still march on. Amen. Amen. Have we been blessed tonight? Praise God. Praise God. I hope that this message was a blessing to you as it was to me. Amen. So let's go ahead and uh, bow our heads and let's pray. 
Father God, we just thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you, Lord God, for rescuing us, Lord. We thank you, Lord God, that you were the one who took the initiative, Lord. You were the one who made the first move, Lord God, because we were dead men walking. You were the one who, who went to that cemetery, Lord God, and, 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 and you woke this zombie up, Lord God. I thank you, Father, for the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I thank you, Father, that, that you resurrected him on the third day, Father, as we celebrated this last weekend, Lord, the resurrection power, Lord. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that Jesus is alive. Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. Amen. And I thank you, Lord God, that through the cross, Heavenly Father, we are saved. And through the cross, we are united as one body, as the one new man. So, Father, I pray that you would continue to strengthen your church as your church is continued to be built upon, Lord, brick by brick, soul by soul, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you, Heavenly Father, would bless your church, that you would strengthen your church, Heavenly Father, and that your church will always display your glory, Father. It is in the mighty name of Jesus that I pray, Father, and let all of God's people say, Amen and amen. Well, God bless you, church. I'm so thankful that you joined us tonight. And uh, and, and I hope that you were blessed by the message. And um, I hope to see you Sunday, okay? I encourage you to come this Sunday. Remember, we have English service at, at 9 a.m. And we got Spanish service at 11 a.m. So come on. I mean, it's getting jam-packed. More people are coming back. Come on now. Let's get excited as a church, amen? Let's glorify the Lord together, all right? God bless you, and I will see you on Sunday. Amen. God bless you.